And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic Here's Tino Libramento He's playing well as well And he's dancing his way through here Still Libramento And now Almiron He's going to shoot And there's a chance and a goal Huge goal for Newcastle! There's the goal they dreamed about when they came here to Paris! And Isak the poacher there to smash it home! And Newcastle lead 1-0! Brilliant! Mbappe trying to turn, holds off Cher, gets away and shoots, Pope with the save, and Mbappe, oh he's missed it, how he's missed it I don't know. to go, Gordon steps in, Asensio can't reach it, Miley's clearance, Vitinha, they want handball now, they're screaming for it, and the referee just wanders away, it's being checked here by Thomas Kwiatkowski, the video assistant referee, this would be so cruel on Newcastle, oh, I've been, I've been devastated myself, I really will he's going to look at it Ali, yeah, Thing you will see about him if he doesn't think it's a penalty and guarantee he won't give it he won't because oh, he's no. been very good yeah well that's off, off his chest it's off his chest onto his arm it's off his chest oh no no chance no come on come off him into his chest let's have a look here's the moment ali what's he gonna do oh he's given no. it oh, i can't believe that that's a shambles he's given that shambles how on earth has he given that yeah honestly it's not on his chest and goes off his left elbow if that's a penalty kick Fletch we're as well as chucking it we're as well giving the game up that's nonsense nonsense that's less of a penalty than uh, the one that he didn't give before isn't it it's just never a penalty no 
Now it's all down to Nick Pope. I'm not ruling this out, you know. It's all down to Nick Pope. Can he be the hero? Up against Mbappe. Massive moment. Mbappe, oh, it's into the top corner. The talisman of Paris Saint-Germain with a penalty eight minutes into stopping time. To call PSG back. Hello, I'm Taylor Payne and welcome to Pot on the Tyne. It's the day after Newcastle United were robbed of possibly their greatest ever Champions League win and I'm still incandescent with rage, uh, but I'm delighted to welcome Chris Woff and Jacob Whitehead back for 45-ish minutes of swearing, crying, denial and finally acceptance. Uh, Chris Woff, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Are you alright? Is there going to be acceptance on your part by the end of this podcast? Absolutely not, no. No, no, I thought, no, I thought I'd just clarify slightly. that point. Yes, um, it's <laughs> it's still very difficult to compute as much as anything else, I think, exactly how last night unfolded. Um, that, as you say, it was, it was so close to an absolutely historic victory for Newcastle and then sort of taken away cruelly, as, as, as the perception rightly is, on that front. So, yeah, it's been very, very difficult, very strange uh, 24 hours on that front to try and work out where this leaves Newcastle United, as we're going to discuss on the rest of this podcast. Absolutely. And Jacob Whitehead's here as well. Jacob, hello. Back from France. How was it? Back from Fair Paris. I am good. I am tired after a 4am filing, but uh, I had a bit of a free day today, which is nice to wander around. It was a quiet group chat last night, wasn't it, on Pod of Time? <laughs> after was. that late penalty, I, I sort of sensed it wasn't the time to put my oar in. So I've been saving it all for the next 45 minutes. I was really tempted to message last night and just say if anybody fancies being contrarian tomorrow, just don't even bother coming on the show because I wasn't in the place, the mood or the mindset for it at all. But, you know. And have you changed or are you going to come through the screen shining style if I if I say anything? Like the last from the ring, yeah. I'll, I'll haunt your nightmares. That's the film I was yeah. looking for. <laughs> I'll absolutely haunt your nightmares. Anyway, uh, let's get into the match then, shall we? <laughs> First point, UEFA have stood down the VAR official from his Wednesday uh, Champions League duties. Uh, but as mad as this sounds, apparently the decision could have been correct, according to current guidelines in Europe. Chris Woff, let's start at the end. That handball, that penalty, that nonsense, that decision, that fucking VAR and that referee. Yeah, well, in case you were on the moon last night rather than watching, <laughs> following or whatever with the, with the incident. So basically what happens is Usman Dembele, Dembele is on the right-hand side of the Newcastle United box. Tino Livramendo, who had been magnificent throughout, was just a couple of yards away from him, a few yards away from him, and Dembele tries to cross it. The ball hits the midriff of Tino Livramento and then deflects onto his elbow. And the PSG players who'd been appealing for a heck of a lot of, of, of decisions and really there was an Anthony Gordon one earlier which is going to come on to which may, may actually have been a penalty but wasn't given and initially the referee did not give the penalty. He also then with the protestations of the PSG players booked Gonzalo Ramos uh, for protesting against that but then eventually the VAR uh, told him to go and have a look at the, at the decision and and at least from the ang angles that we saw on the TV, obviously Jacob was was in the stadium, but in the, the angles we saw on the TV, there was one wide angle, then very much zoomed in slow motion on the fact of the ball hitting his arm. Didn't show uh, whether it was a natural motion from behind 
the uh, the goal line didn't didn't really show all the other angles. Now the referee, to everyone's surprise, uh, I think on the commentary, Ali McCoyst had called it a disgrace that he that he was changed. He said there's no chance it's going to happen. This is a, this is a disgrace. Uh, very Mikel Arteta, but not quite ranty as, as that. Um, and then <laughs> pointed to, to to the penalty spot, much to everyone's bemusement. And this was 98th minute that eventually Kylian Mbappe scored. And really, that was. Yeah, I mean, it, Newcastle had been 1-0 up. The second half had been a bit of an, an onslaught from PSG. But until that moment, it looked like Newcastle were about to hold on. And then controversy took over. And, I mean, I, what I'm interested in is hearing from Jacob. What was it actually like in the stadium at that point? Did anyone in the press box know what was going on? What was the sort of mood in the stadium? How did it feel at that moment? In terms of the press box, we were completely in the dark because PSG, despite being the wealthiest club in the world didn't have any working tv screens so we would just like absolutely anybody else um before we go kind of too in depth from that it's worth noting newcastle's didn't have any wi-fi in the press room there so um it's not just psg who are struggling in that sense um but kind of i guess pretty much for the whole of the second half every five minutes psg fans were going up for something whether it was the golden challenge we mentioned yeah. or a potential handball against miley or yet another shot kicked over the bar by Fabian Ruiz kind of had been hopping up and down. And there's a point where despite the tension, it becomes that weird normality that you go up for something and Newcastle just get away with it. And so when it came to this, it kind of looked, uh, as at the far end, didn't look massively problematic. And then when the ref went over to VAR, the noise just grew palpably. And it was quite interesting because although he took a bit of time and no fans knew what was happening. At that point, sort of one screen spotted into life and we could see the ball deflect off a midriff and thought, using the Premier League rules, oh, he should be fine there, should be fine there. So you sort of settle back into your seat with a bit more confidence, thinking uh, all these fans are about to be disappointed. And then Marciniak, so World Cup final refereeing official, points to the spot and at that point... I mean, I'd, you know, I'm not a Newcastle fan, obviously, despite your protestations, but that was probably the closest <laughs> I've come to feeling genuinely sorry for him because it was just so cruel from a from a sporting perspective yeah. and having seen the kind of depths of that performance. It was an unbelievable rear goal action from Newcastle who were essentially dead on their feet, Chris, weren't in that second half. And the, the, the thing about the penalty for me is I know people are saying, oh, depending on different rules, whether you go off UEFA rules or Premier League rules, uh, the deflection off the body makes a, a hell of a lot of difference in those two instances. But still, the ball, like Eddie Howe alluded to in his post-match, the ball travels so quickly and it comes from such short range and it pops up. The arm, as far as I'm concerned, isn't in an unnatural position. I'm not sure what Tino Livermento is supposed to do with his arms. Like, you know, he's he's always going to have arms, isn't he? They're always going to be there. Um, I I couldn't believe it when I saw the replay. It's one of those, we, we were talking to producer Ollie about this beforehand, and we said, at the time I thought, oh shit, we're in trouble here. And then the second that I saw the replay, I thought, it's fine. It's actually fine. He, there's no way he can give that. He can't possibly give that. And then he does. And then all hell breaks loose, you know? Well, I mean, the weird thing that we've had, uh, I mean, we're, what, 21 hours on or whatever we're recording now from from the final, the end of the match. And basically, there seems to be no consensus even within the refereeing community as to whether within UEFA's guidelines, which appear to be slightly different 
to the Premier Leagues, even if there's been a recommendation that 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 over time they should change and follow the way that the Premier League is, mm-hmm. as to whether this could whether they could have awarded a penalty. You've got some referees, Mark Clattenburg uh, in the Mail. I've seen uh, uh, there was another one on Sky earlier today. He was saying that they were both saying it wasn't a penalty, but then there's people there's been other referees on CBS overnight saying that within UEFA's guidelines this is a penalty because it doesn't matter that it deflected off him. The arm was an extension of his body. Now I agree with you. Taylor, I think the pro- part of the problem was that the referee wasn't given all of those angles as well. It was basically the, yeah. the one that they kept zooming in on was look, the ball has hit his arm. But if you look behind, it's like where his arm is sort of in that position where it's he is basically running. Your arm is going to be somewhere, and so the the law, if it, if it does turn out the law was correct, which we still haven't had clarification on that, then the law, in my opinion, is an ass. But I think the frustration as well is that. Again, it, it, the referee had made an, a, a, a call on the field and it, it just felt like he, he, he went across and, and saw it and, and it was like, there, the onus is on him. He's got to change that decision. And yeah. I think that's part of the issue. We can get into the wider debate about VAR and the other issues, but he may come out otherwise and say, no, I saw it and I definitely think it's a handball. But to me, it felt like the onus was on him to go to the... I've told you as the VAR that you need to go to the to the, the side of the pitch and look at the screen and therefore you have to change your decision. And that shouldn't be how it works. Far too irregularly is it that, that officials go, no, actually... I'm on the pitch. I felt what was going on at, the, at that moment, and I didn't. I'm not going to overturn my decision. And I felt that the onus was on him to change it. The ref uh, had been pretty good up until that point, Jacob, hadn't he? As well, they didn't penalise Scrinny off a handball uh, just before half time, which might have led to a red card. Uh, Alexander is potentially in on goal if that hasn't happened. And in the other direction, as we mentioned before, Anthony Gordon's challenge on Hakimi could easily have been given as a penalty as well. That was the one. But I watched it and thought. Oh, he hasn't. At first, I thought he has got the ball there. It's fine. And then in the replay, you think, oh, Jesus, this is going to be close. He could really, he could easily give this. Definitely. On the Scrinier one, now I'm completely mixed. I've, you know, this UEFA Premier League difference may completely dispel this, but I'm, I'm sure that in the Premier League, at least, there is a rule where if your arm is propping up your body weight and you're on the floor, yeah. Yeah, that yeah, that's not happening. And I think. From my view, in the stands, it looked like that could have possibly been why Scrinier got away with it, because otherwise it was in a very dangerous position with. Isaac bearing down um, and yeah I mean with the Gordon challenge um, it sounds and kind of looks from replays as if it could have been one which went the other way kind of an actual true 50-50 um, he gets a bit of a ball bit of a man but kind of ultimately probably wouldn't have been overturned Marciniak went with a decision on the field and VAR didn't overrule it I mean I was just thinking this morning it would just be so much better if these decisions are mic'd up just so at least the referee can explain their thinking. Because yeah. I think there's one thing disagreeing with a decision or how the referee's viewed it, football subjective, that's always going to happen. It's for not mm-hmm. understanding why something's happened, which is often a quite difficult thing to take. And there's so many decisions in this match. I mean, you know, the, the Scrinier and Golden decisions could well have been right, but it would have just been really useful to hear it alludicated at the time. Uh, you you lads both know your rugby pretty well as well, don't you, Chris? And uh, as far as the comparison between the two sports go, specifically in terms of how much pressure they're putting on the main referee to make those calls and to do and, and do it so quickly, what's the differences here? Because they do this in rugby, don't they, with their 
video refereeing, but the, the football just doesn't seem to be getting it right at the minute. It doesn't. I mean, it, it, there is a different pace to the two sports, which I think makes a big difference. And therefore, but all, but also with it within rugby, you do hear the communication between the officials, and I think that does help. Yeah. That at least gives clarity, certainly to to people watching on TV. Maybe it still isn't there. Still is enough within a stadium, but you you do get far better communication. They do show on a big screen when there's a decision that's being changed. But I think rugby at the moment is going through a bit of an issue as well. And during the Rugby World Cup, they used what was called a bunker system, and that was basically where if there was an incident which could potentially be a red card, rather than the referee giving an initial red card, he would give a yellow card, he would then put it up to bunker system, and then the video referee would have 10 minutes to decide whether that should be upgraded to a red card. Now, the issue with that is you are taking the decision out of the referee on the pitcher's yeah. hands. Now, the, the argument is that, that, that in rugby, that it, there are so minute details between one issue and another that therefore it, it isn't fair on the on-field official. But I also think when you take away the responsibility from the on-field official, then that, that can be an issue in itself. And maybe we are getting that with VAR as well. Now, this is a wider debate about VAR, but I do just yeah, think last night was just... It, it, it felt it felt wrong at the time. And I think that you've seen with a lot of the coverage elsewhere and also even with fans of other clubs who've come out and said that it just it just didn't feel right. Now, whether... Apart from Arsenal fans, funnily enough. Well... <laughs> Well, quite. Arsenal fans seemed quite pleased about the whole situation, didn't they? Yes, they certainly did. But but whether, <laughs> as I say, we still we still don't know nearly twenty four hours on whether the rule was correctly applied or not. And I think that's the that's mm. the big frustration about this that it, it doesn't it isn't even one of those one where you go, well, yeah, definitely it was. It's still something which is being debated, which is a huge frustration because of what it cost Newcastle. Now I saw that there was a lot about. Well, Newcastle had a rear guard action during the second half. You know, PSG, PSG's XG was four point five, and it was the, basically the second highest they've ever had in the in the Champions League. They had the biggest differential between uh, XG and actual goals scored, but none of that so matters. What? At the, yeah, so at, the, at the end of the day, none of that actually matters. It doesn't take away from the fact that this decision felt unjust. That that it just did. Right, let's take a quick break and we'll uh, we'll actually have a chat about that performance and not just about that fucking penalty. We'll be back in just a moment. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. So, Jacob, the penalty, the decision at the end, does it overshadow Newcastle's performance? Because it was a magnificent performance overall, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I woke up a little bit dispirited, to be honest, because... I kind of wanted to write about the Newcastle performance itself for players, Miley, Pope, Livermento. And it's just, there's something really sad about the fact that it should have been this. And it still is, and it kind of can change in perception, of course. But 
could have been this amazing weekend. Weekend? It's Wednesday. I'm tired. <laughs> it could have been an amazing Tuesday in Paris. Yeah. Um, which would always be remembered for the result and the performance. And it will be remembered for the result, but it will kind of also be remembered for this controversy and just like how it was frustrating after the Arsenal match when Newcastle limited Arsenal so much attacking-wise that the whole thing became completely about Mikel Arteta's quotes and that controversial decision. It's kind of depressing that this is exactly the same thing now. And so, yeah, I think we should take a few minutes to actually give Newcastle their flowers because they deserved three points as well. Absolutely. That were 11 men, Chris. Well, 10 men and a, and a, and a boy, really, wasn't it? Um, they put on a terrific show, didn't they? The, the better team in the first half, I thought. Uh, excellent with and without the ball. And they, they really restricted PSG in the first half. They did. Uh, I mean, Liam Thorne's done an analysis piece for uh, The Athletic Way. He sort of looked at why Newcastle was so effective, particularly in the first half. Really, it was, it was sort of up to nearly the 60-minute mark, certainly off the ball, that they were effective. And, and their pressing really did... They, they picked the right moments to press high and led by Miguel Almiron, who I thought in the first half in particular was everywhere. He was absolutely sensational, just covering so much ground, won the ball high a few times. Obviously, it was his shot, uh, which Donnarumma just, you know, parried weirdly straight to, to Alexander Isak, who'd already missed a wonderful chance again yeah. that was laid on by yeah. Miguel Almiron and, and him winning the ball high and then a very good layback fr- fr- from Almiron for that. And Newcastle... Although they only had, I think in the first half, Newcastle had about 30% possession, but that's a very mm-hmm. similar amount of possession that they had at St. James's Park in the return leg. And basically what they were doing was was just picking their moments to, to get at PSG. PSG had more joy in that first half than they did at St. James's, but it still wasn't as if they were absolutely peppering the Newcastle goal at that point. And Newcastle's XG actually in, the, in this game was higher than it was when they beat PSG 4-1 at home. So when we're getting into wow. the XG debate as well, it's very, very interesting. You look at that... Which again, and just proves my point that it's all bullshit, Chris. <laughs> Every, it's yeah. all bullshit. But it also... I mean, I, I've <laughs> so, I've sort of written about this to, to go up tomorrow, tomorrow morning as well, that sort of... A, I've taken in Kylian Mbappe's quotes, which if anyone hasn't seen them, uh, basically he says that Newcastle offered nothing. Now, I, I think what he's actually trying to say is he's basically trying to say the PSG should have won. And I think it was almost like, not inadvertent, but I think he, he's, he's not thought about what he's saying and he's basically digged out Newcastle. But I think that in itself is disrespectful and that has got a lot of people's backs. Yeah. So particularly given over two le- two matches, essentially he's been anonymous for large parts of it. Kieran Trippier uh, has dealt with him in both matches. Jamal Lascelles dealt with him really well. Lewis Miley nicked the ball off him uh, last yeah. night as well. And there's definite frustration. It took until the 98th minute and a, a wonderful penalty on his part, but that was what he needed to be able to score. And, and if you look at it instead, the second half, what happened to Newcastle, the issue was fatigue set in. And, and you also look at the you look at the bench. Newcastle couldn't name a full bench. They had seven players on the bench, two of whom were goalkeepers, three of whom w- were 19-year-olds, two of whom made their debuts off the bench at the weekend, essentially just to, to come on in, in sort of injury time, waste a bit of time. And then they also had Paul Dummett, who's made two starts in the last 15 months. And then they also have uh, Lewis Hall, who's made fewer than 20 senior appearances throughout his career. Newcastle didn't make a change in the second half. Now, we can argue whether Eddie Howe could or should have done, because now all those players have played at least... uh, I think it's 171 minutes is the, is the least that, that, that Newcastle starting lineup has played in the last two matches, and that's Alexander Isak. The rest of them have yeah. played even longer, and that's not including uh, added time. 
and fatigue set in and, and, and the longer the game went on the more PSG were, were just pinning Newcastle in and they, they only had less than 19% possession in the second half because they just couldn't get out they couldn't keep hold of the ball yeah. and PSG did feel like they were coming before that penalty I'll wade into the substitution debate Paul Dummett when he's been on the field Newcastle don't seem to have conceded a goal in about two years so did Howell miss a trick by just not popping him on after 90 minutes and trusting fate how made a point though, didn't he, in his post match about he could have went, he could have brought Dummett on and went to five at the back and kind of tried to show things up a bit. But he said, when you're defending and you're used to that shape and you're into that rhythm of defending, it, it, it could have been a massive gamble to change things at that point. And it could have, it could have led to a goal even earlier than that, you know. And I, I understand, like, if you want to kind of show things up a bit and stick another defender on, but I, I, I understand what he's saying. It, it, it it might have backfired, you know, you just don't know. I agree. I was being a bit tongue-in-cheek. There's a great picture, which is in Liam's piece, where it shows Newcastle basically playing six at the back at one point, which is um, saw that, yeah. a formation I haven't seen before, but needs must, and it Oh, you didn't worked. see us under Steve Bruce, yes. then. Clearly not. <laughs> I, I, was, I was just joining in with lots of Newcastle fans and boycotting the club at that point, so um, <laughs> it's just always showing my true colours. Something I talk about in, the, in this piece, though, as well, is that there is that point you raised here, like, could, it's the unknown of if Eddie Howard changed it, would the, the momentum felt like it was shifting anyway, so yeah. it's difficult to see how that given the options they had on the bench, and that's no disrespect to them, but given those options, would that dramatically have changed the way the match was going? But I think what we, what we have to wait and see is what effect does this have on Newcastle going forward? They play every single midweek and weekend up until Boxing Day from, from this stage. If you include the, the last two matches, it's 10 games within uh, 30 days, I, th- I think it is. And they're going to have to basically play this same 11 at the weekend. They have Richie and, and Kraft coming back because they are eligible they weren't eligible in the Champions League but in terms of beyond that senior players wise Sean Longstaff might be back but there isn't going to be really anyone else in the near future and how long can these players keep going for we saw after they went to Dortmund and had that deflating defeat there they then go to Bournemouth and basically fell off a cliff now this isn't the same number of matches up to this point but how emotionally drained will Newcastle be after last night to play Man United on Saturday on a huge occasion the the opportunity to leapfrog them in the table we don't yet know what the after effects of this will be and we have to just wait and see on that front and hope that there isn't a hangover from it Huge performances all over the pitch as well, wasn't it, Jacob? Kieran Trippier, we mentioned before, Tino Livramento, especially for that first goal, a lovely mazy run. Uh, but Lewis Miley, let's talk about him. Incredible stuff. Uh, although uh, L'Equipe sorry, uh, didn't bathe him in much praise, did they? No. So L'Equipe, famous for their excoriating rankings. Beautiful word. Thank you. Which really would bring me down, i got to say, if, if our article's got ranked like that and sort of every piece got a three it it really would really would do me but no uh, they gave Lewis Miley a four which was the lowest of any Newcastle player which considering how he played seems pretty crazy I'll I'll come on to the context later um that's bollocks because what impressed me was against Chelsea obviously the assist was so impressive and his attacking play and it was the disguise and his division and I wrote about this a little bit what impressed me against uh, PSG was, I mean, A, the ability to back that up and to go at 17 twice in four days. But the off-ball intelligence he showed, it felt like so many times he was picking up a loose ball in midfield. He was the one in position to make the crucial block. And that doesn't just happen by accident. He doesn't have long legs and just sort of stumble into the right place. Like, he clearly understands so early 
where he has to be and what he has to do. And considering the demands which Eddie Howe puts on his midfielders, it's pretty remarkable. As a bit of defence for the keeper, I don't feel why I feel any need to defend them. One of them tapped me on the shoulder. I was in the middle of a conversation yesterday to get him to take a picture of himself with Emmanuel Petit. So it must have, I'm, I'm picturing it was him who was doing the rankings. <laughs> PSG's players did all average four or five and Nick Pope uh, was given an eight by them. And in the keep land, an eight is pretty much 12 out of 10. So uh, yeah, they have at least stuff. given him his due credit. Absolutely. And late in the second half, Chris, the fatigue starts to set in, doesn't it? Of course it does. Uh, Luis Enrique made a few changes, some of them effective, some of them not so much. But the siege of Paris was arguably as heartening as that first period. And and Nick Pope, as Jacobs just said, was absolutely magnificent, wasn't he? He, he was. And I thought that, that I mean, he was, he, was, he was man of the match because it wasn't, I think it was six saves he made overall, but it was more just the... the, the as PSG had a lot of openings without being able to actually convert a lot of their opportunities, but that there were a couple of key moments that he was really involved in, and of course there was the Barcola chance, which that's the one time we really saw Mbappe in open play, and he gets to the byline in the right, does does the Newcastle defenders down that side whips a low ball in the box, and 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 it, within the six yard box, Barcola's there, and he made such an impact off the bench, but just could not score. I mean, he had a few yeah. golden opportunities, and Pope somehow he. The, the the shot isn't great, but it's it, it's put towards him, and he and he sort of flings himself to his right a little bit, and it first comes off his knee, and then deflects up onto his arm, and he, and he manages to to put it round for a corner, and that was that was a huge moment because I think if PSG had scored at that point, they probably would have gone on to win because it looked like that was still a decent portion of the time left in the game, and then and it was really the siege as you mentioned at that stage. But just picking up on a, on a couple of points Jacob made about about the other players, I mean Tino Leveramendo, that his involvement in, in in Newcastle's goal, the way he slaloms across the edge of, of of PSG's box and there was some lovely play from side to side in that goal where Miley was involved early on in, in the move that, that almost facilitated the move for the goal getting to the right hand byline pulling it across Almiron involved again Livermento as well a few defensive moments Almiron I've mentioned a few times Jamal Lascelles I thought was colossal at the back I thought great. that was yeah, arguably his, his finest Matching it in a Newcastle shirt because the 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 certainly first half the way that that he marshaled the team and the way that that he sort of led from the back there's been so many question marks over him but he, he was excellent once again obviously came up with the goal at the weekend too and then and then in midfield there, there were tireless performances for, for, from Joe Linton and then Bruno Gimraes just very very clever on the ball very very used it very very well certainly first half second half the everyone tired a little bit everyone waned and got a little bit deeper but I think that. To a man, there isn't a Newcastle player you can criticise for last night. I think that they were all excellent. Absolutely. And we can still qualify for the knockout stages as well. Just need to avoid uh, defeat uh, against Milan to guarantee European football in the second half of the season. I mean, that is that is some achievement, Jacob, isn't it? For sure. I mean, I think Newcastle were done a favour by the fact that Dortmund beat AC Milan because kind of going into all the permutations and made it seem as if Newcastle probably needed a win to retain a decent chance. But actually, it sounds doable. It is out of their hands, but Dortmund need another point to guarantee finishing top of the group. So they'll be motivated to play against PSG. If PSG fail to win and Newcastle beat AC Milan, then Newcastle could still go through in second on head-to-head record by virtue of having won the reverse leg. So those two results, Newcastle beating Milan at home, Dortmund failing to win at Dortmund away, it's very much in the realms of possibility. PSG have been shite away from home as well so far. Absolute garbage. 
I mean, we 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 put four past them. They were they've not been great on the road, have they, Chris? No, and they're magnificent at the Parc des Princes, which is why Newcastle getting so close to that historic win and then even getting a draw is an excellent result. That's why I think a lot of people went and this was such trepidation because they are a completely different beast at home. But but I agree with Jacob. Suddenly, I mean that that the atmosphere that there was for, for the PSG home game, this Milan game is going to be absolutely massive, and that's going to be an absolutely yeah, electric occasion. And then over in Dortmund, PSG going there, we've seen what, what Dortmund are able to do. And Dortmund will want a bit of revenge for, for losing at the Parc des Princes themselves so that they have uh, a lot of motivation to, to, to go there and, and, and do that. So they, this it's it's not in Newcastle's hands, which obviously is not what anyone wants. And Eddie Howe mentioned that after the match. He's frustrated because he doesn't feel they've shown the best of themselves. But basically, they still are alive going into this final group match. And they, 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 it looks like they've got a very good chance of getting Europa League football. We can debate whether they want that and whether they should want that. But as things stand, they have a very good opportunity of going into the second half of the season, either in the elite European competition still, or if not, in, in the second tier competition, which from the group of death, the fourth ranked team within it is still more than you would expect just from the rankings themselves. Absolutely. We're very much still alive, aren't we? Uh, most importantly, though, we have to say it, no whinging. That's it now. The whinging's done. Uh, Eddie Howe was unhappy, but gracious post-match. And I pro- think it's probably a good idea for us all to move on very quickly, isn't it, Jacob? It's time now to concentrate on the games coming up. Yep. Although just one quick note was that Eddie Howe was reminded at 11.55pm that it was his birthday in five minutes time, um, <laughs> which was quite the sort of, he also had genuinely forgotten that it was his birthday. Um, it sort of took someone to remind him that today is Wednesday, which doesn't particularly surprise you, but this is a man who, I reckon he's rubbish at buying birthday presents for other people as well. Like You can't imagine he's spending 15 minutes going on Not on the High Street to try and pick something out, is he? I, he strikes me as the kind of man who doesn't really do birthdays, doesn't celebrate them, isn't asked, just can't be bothered. He's, you know, they cut into his time in the gym and, and looking at videos of games from five years ago. So why, why would he bother? Do you reckon he eats cake or do you reckon he just has like a little cupcake? No, it's not, he's not a cake man, definitely not. And if it is, it's really dry. Do you, th- do you think he'll just have cake. one extra biscuit when he's he having his tea and biscuit watching the game after? Do you think he just let, allows himself <laughs> that? Rich teas as well. Now with chocolate on. He definitely blows out the candles one by one rather than just doing it in one big, <laughs> one, one bit, one big blow. Eddie Howe's rich tea mugs. Absolutely. Uh, right then, give your loved ones the gift of The Athletic this year for Christmas. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod before January 1st and choose between 1999, that's pounds, dollars or euros, for a one-year subscription or 39.99 for two years. And that, Chris Woff, is value in anybody's book, isn't it? It certainly is. Good. We'll be back in just a second. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Right then, looking ahead to Saturday and United host the red half of Manchester in the middle of the night, pretty much, for what promises to be another huge occasion. Uh, these are all huge occasions now, Chris, aren't they? It feels like every game is a huge occasion. I mean, the the, the fixture list coming up is not only absolutely manic, it's also that the play Newcastle play huge opposition yeah. regular. I mean, they've just played Chelsea, they've gone to PSG, they've got Man United at home this weekend, as I said, they can leapfrog them in the table if they win to try and keep in touch with the with the top four, the five points behind Aston Villa in fourth at the moment. They then, next week, go to Everton on Thursday night to, to, to Jacob's other love, um, which will be an emotionally charged atmosphere, given everything that's happened there and, and everything that's gone against them. Then, Spurs the following weekend. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And this momentum that Newcastle have managed to build from these two matches, even though they didn't win in the end last night, those two very, very positive results that won't need anything uh, confidence boost-wise. That They are a team who, under Eddie Howe, when they do get on a roll, tend to, to continue that. And, and St. James's Park, 8 o'clock kickoff on a Saturday, is not a great time Ooh. in general, but in terms of actually... It's going to be raucous, yeah, isn't it? In terms of a booze-filled, raucous atmosphere, then that could be absolutely guaranteed. It always is a huge atmosphere against Manchester United as it is. And I think on this occasion, it will be even more so because the, the Newcastle fans will turn up feeling that they were wronged on Tuesday night as well. Absolutely. And speaking about the atmosphere, um, obviously we spoke in the last episode about Dad Gadusi's tweet, uh, kind of maybe not criticising the fans so much, but saying they, they need a little bit more from the fans. Uh, and he then clarified this a little bit later uh, with, uh, with this tweet saying, often our intentions and words don't align perfectly. I believe most of you know how deeply I'm committed to this club. My heart beats in black and white. I'm not sure how that works, but... He must do. Uh, and my love for the club and all of you is unwavering. Let's keep our fingers crossed for tonight. We stand united. Here's to us and our journey together. How are the lads? He hasn't really clarified anything there, Chris, has he? No, it's not a full sort of clarification. But but equally, I mean, this is the, I think that there was a bit of surprise on, on at least this part that, that, that it's sort of got the response that it did. It was a very emotive subject. And you can see, it was the timing of it that was strange. I I think it's an interesting, as we mentioned the other day, it's an interesting debating point to have. I think some fans have at least expressed similar views that the atmosphere is is down in their opinion or hasn't quite hit the the heights that they would like on a regular basis. And so I think that that's him just trying to to say that he wasn't trying to criticise support, as it did come across, at least some people felt that way. But 
ahead of a game on Saturday. I, d- I don't think anyone is going to need Jing up for the atmosphere on Saturday. It will be a special night. It is quite nice that he seems to have written the statement in the style of George Culkin. Um, <laughs> my heart bleeds in black and white. My love for the club and all of you is yeah. unwavering. George actually makes us say that uh, at, at the end of every podcast recording, those exact words. So, so I didn't don't know how Murdad's heard that and reused it. It's amazing. Uh, yeah, and it's sadly, it isn't a 3pm kickoff though, is it, Jake? Because we're pretty good at those. Uh, Everton, reportedly, Man United's best performance of the season so far, though that's not really saying a lot, is it? No, I mean, they, they went into a hostile Goodison and ultimately it's quite easy to quieten hostility when someone scores a 30-yard bicey. I mean, <laughs> what can you do? When we a talk bicey? About, we talk about divine intervention. A bicey, yeah. A bicey? A bicey. Don't you dare tell me that's short for bicycle kick. Don't you even think about saying that. You save so many syllables. You save so many. I'm ducking, diving, living my life quickly. Bicey. Go on, continue with your point. I'll allow it. I've got what I've said now. You What I'm saying now, you've thrown me off just because you're picking me up with a bicey. Bicey. That is not, Chris, that's not a term. Have you ever heard that before? I have heard it before, but um, it's not one I tend to use myself, but I have heard it before. My God, it's absolutely disgraceful. Um, well, Jacob, they've got Luke Shaw back. Their injury crisis peaked around about September, October, but they still have one or two missing. Casemiro's not going to make it as well. Casemiro's right? been missing even when he's been fit, to be quite honest. Yeah. But <laughs> Shaw was really, really impressive. I mean, he's just adds so much calmness to them and how they can build up on the left. And their big breakthrough performance was Kobe Mainu, who's an 18-year-old, who was really calm. He put his foot on the ball. He could play under half term. So... You're going to have this quite nice uh, matchup, most likely, of Louis Miley and Kobe Mainu in midfield, who are two very talented young English midfielders. Um, and I'm quite looking forward to watching that unfold. Yeah, it should be a good game. Uh, we do have 24 hours recovery over them, don't we, Chris? And as we speak, they are playing in a very damp Istanbul where they were repeating the Everton trick. 40% possession, two shots on target, 2 nil up. Uh, but one of my old favourites, Hakim Ziyech, has uh, pulled one back for Galatasaray and it's 2-1 currently approaching half-time. This has suddenly turned into Soccer Saturday. We're doing live analysis of games that are happening. Well, I didn't know you had a Hakim Ziyech poster up on your wall. I, I, I used to think he was a great player. When he when he first joined Chelsea, when he left, I actually came to Chelsea. I thought, he's a great player. I would love it if we could get him at some point in the future. And now he's buggered off to Turkey, hasn't he? I mean, you've taken a diversion there by just professing your love for, for Hakim Ziyech. And that's, that's taken me off guard a little bit. But in terms of the, the, the match itself... Yes, Newcastle will have an extra 24 hours. Also, far long, harder travel to go to Istanbul than it was for Newcastle to fly over to Paris. Uh, yeah, exactly. So there's that to take into account. But also, in, in a perverse sort of way, Newcastle fans may actually want Man United... I mean, the result will have happened by now, but may actually want Man United to win because for English teams, uh, the complicated... I'm not going to get into the very minutiae of... Uh, of coefficients here but basically the better English teams do this season the more likely it is that there will be a fifth Champions League spot in the Premier League and so if Man United are to go out in the group stage and also if Newcastle are to go out in the group stage that has a negative effect on the overall coefficient which will give them less of a chance overall. Yeah, Man United are a proper weird side at the minute though, aren't they, Jacob? You never know which Man United you're going to get. Could we make the most of our psychological advantage thanks to our recent success against them? This is the thing, I mean, they were so outplayed by Newcastle in the Carabao Cup with a very strange side. Um, But at the same time, like you say, like Man U are technically the form side in the Premier League in terms of how many points they've taken. Um... Yes, Newcastle have won most of recent games, but they lost the big one in the Carabao Cup final. Um, 
And so to be quite honest, I'm not sure if I have a psychological advantage or a disadvantage. It is all just weird. <laughs> it certainly is. It certainly is. Right, and I think we're just about done for today. One more thing before we finish up. Uh, West Bromwich Albion are the visitors to Kingston Park on Sunday against Langley's Lasses. They should be confident going into that one. They're playing pretty well at the minute, Chris, and they're in banging good form, aren't they? They're playing very, very well, and um, they, they just keep rolling on. So if you can get along... Uh, on Sunday, you'll see a side very much in form and uh, hopefully continuing that. Uh, at what I mean, it's going to be very, very cold over the weekend and Kingston Park is, is very is having been to a lot of rugby matches there over the years, that no place on earth, I think, is colder than Kingston Park. So make sure you're rabbit warm if you do go. It is proper Baltic, absolutely properly Baltic. Uh, Stoke City in the FA Cup to follow as well. It's not a bad draw, that one. Uh, right then, that's just about it. Thank you so much, Jacob, for your time. Thank you very much for having me. I hope that I wasn't too dazed after my late night last night, but at least, unlike you two, my spirit hasn't been broken <laughs> by those events. Absolutely. Uh, and thanks very much, Chris Woff, as well. Always a pleasure. Uh, you're very welcome. Uh, I mean, as deflating as, as this sort of seems in many ways, I, I just want to sort of go back to those positives that Newcastle went to the Parc de France and they did play exceptionally well for a heck of a, a long period of it. And yes, PSG came on very strong in the second half, but it, it took a, a controversial decision to deny them. So I think that given the given the injury crisis, which we haven't really gone into too much, is, is still very much in, in full flow. They, they just need to take every single positive they can into Man United on Saturday. Absolutely right. That's just about it. I'm off to have a one-on-one with Jacob and he can explain some more youth football terms to me so I don't seem like an old bastard every week. Do you know what a Megs is? Megs? Is that not Meg? Okay, right. We're getting there. Yeah, Megs is fine. I know, that's all right. That, that makes sense. Spicy, that's just nonsense, Jacob. Come on. You're better than that. You're better. One of the most promising young journalists in this country, sports writers, and you're using terms like bicey. I'm down with a kid, so that's my USP at the moment, and I've got to retain that for as long as I can. Have a word with yourself. All right. So that's just about it. Uh, if you want to get in touch, please email us at podonthetine at theathletic.com. And speaking of which, uh, we had this email from Paul McIntosh, and this was sent on Tuesday the 28th of November at 28 minutes past 10, just after the uh, the match finished, with the subject line gutted. Um, and this is what followed. Absolutely devastated by that penalty decision after an incredible battling performance too. But we're still fighting to stay in this Champions League. They've got to go to Dortmund and get something. And I'll tell you, I'd love it if we qualified ahead of them. Love it. Come on, Paul. That's great. Thank you very much for listening. We'll speak to you soon from everybody at Pod on the Time. Goodbye. Love it. The Athletic.